Well, good morning. Um, thank you for inviting me back. Uh, since I spoke here last, I've had the, um, the practice of kind of teaching grammar to 30 year five. So this is kind of marginally less daunting <laughs> than, it, than it was last time. Um, it's been fantastic hearing what uh, Andrew and Phil and Kaz have brought and really encouraging to see how you know, we prepare these talks kind of in isolation to each other, but we can kind of see um, God weaving his story kind of throughout, which is brilliant. So yeah, I'm carrying on the series of uh, Gentle and Lowly, and I'm going to be speaking as inspired from chapters 9 and 10, uh, which are called An Advocate and The Beauty of the Heart of Christ. And as I began my preparation back in the summer, very quickly the theme of advocacy was weighing on me. So I'm going to be talking today from a title of Advocacy Begins with Proximity. Um, and this is roughly where I'm planning to take us. What is advocacy and proximity? Um, proximity, Jesus as fully human. Jesus as advocate. Why do we keep Jesus at arm's length and drawing nearer to them? So I wonder what comes to mind when I say the words advocacy and proximity. The mental health charity Mind says advocacy means getting support from another person to help you express your views and wishes and help you stand up for your rights. To advocate for someone is to offer support, to champion, to stand up for, to speak for. Proximity speaks of nearness, either physically or emotionally, um, and I'm sure that there are some of us here who know that we struggle with that, both in our relationships with humans and with God. Uh, back in the summer, the Buckby children had a random inset day one Friday in June, so we took a trip to Warner Brothers Studio near Watford to tour around the film set of Harry Potter. Um, it was a birthday treat for Isabel, but kind of also for me, because I wanted to go for years and had to wait for my children to be fully indoctrinated so that we could enjoy that. Um, so we splashed out, we booked a stopover deal, we did Harry Potter World on the Friday, a hotel stay Friday evening, and then we were going to come home via a National Trust place on the Saturday. I'd known about it for months, the children had been in on it for just a couple of weeks, but we were very excited. So here is a picture of us at the studio tour hopefully, which shows uh, the four of us in uh, Diagon Alley on the picture on the left. Um, and the perceptive among you will be able to see that hidden behind me in that picture, and more clearly in the second picture, is uh, a wheelchair. <coughs> and if you know me at all, uh, you will know that I do not normally use a wheelchair. But on that sunny Friday, we arrived early into the area and found a lovely park, a uh, local park in Hemel Hempstead, to stretch our legs after the car journey. And as the children explored the play equipment, my left foot explored a deep divot hidden in the ground. There was a crunch, there was a lot of pain and nausea, um, and there was a decision at that moment in my head that accessing any kind of medical treatment right then was not an option at that point because we had waited months for this experience. Um, so with some frozen peas and ibuprofen from the local ASDA, I hobbled towards the reception desk at Warner Brothers, barely able to put weight on my ankle. The staff were fantastic. They found me a wheelchair. They gave me dignity and priority treatment the whole way around and turned what could have been a disaster um, into an absolutely terrific afternoon. Um, and I only clipped about three people's ankles on the way around, so I was quite happy with that. Why am I telling you this? Well, because there was one moment on the tour 
when I was queuing to pay for some very expensive photos of the kids riding a broomstick. And I'd been placed in a side queue, kind of while the main queue snaked to my right. Mark was taking the, the kids ahead, probably for another toilet trip. And he looked at me and he said to me, will you be able to advocate for yourself? And my response was something like, Mark, I'm a grown woman. I might have hurt my ankle, but I still have my voice. Of course, I'll be able to advocate for myself. Well, what followed was probably 15 minutes, but it felt like much longer of being ignored. Every time a staff member became available at a till, an able-bodied person from the queue next to me propelled themselves forward to immediately fill the gap that had been created before I could manoeuvre myself forward. I could catch no one's eye. The oh-so-helpful staff members who treated me brilliantly all day seemed to have disappeared. And I felt angry and helpless and humiliated. And I was also annoyed that Mark seemed to know me better than I knew myself. Eventually, the salesperson directly in front of me became free, and I got myself in there quickly. But that sense of being overlooked, of being othered, stayed with me. I was only using the wheelchair for a few hours, but it gave me a glimpse of, a, um, of proximity to a challenge, a barrier that I had not previously encountered. Advocacy begins with proximity. So let's turn our thoughts to Jesus. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And Andrew unpacked this a little for us a few weeks ago, and I want to kind of build on that today. I know in my head that the Bible is clear that Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. That he was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. That Jesus is able to empathise with my weaknesses. I know that in my head. But there was a time when our children were smaller and whinier and needier, and when I felt like I was breaking apart, and I used to think, do you really know what this is like, Jesus? Do you really know what it is like to love these little ones so much and yet not want to be touched by them because it is just too much? And then I read the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels and of some of the things his disciples came out with, of how the crowds followed him incessantly and hemmed him in, and he had to feed them and teach them and be gentle and patient with them. And yes, I realise that Jesus is indeed fully man, yet fully God, and was tempted in every way, but did not sin. Jesus is the only high priest fully able to advocate and intercede for his people in solidarity and gentleness. And in the book, Dane Ortland says, the various high priests through Israel's history were sinfully weak. Jesus, the high priest, was sinlessly weak. Contrary to what we expect to be the case, therefore, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. Advocacy begins with proximity.
in this series so far, we've used some quite long bible words. So in true teacher style, let's just take a pause to make sure that we know what some of this vocabulary means. Um, at the beginning of chapter 9 of Gentle and Lowly, Ortland helpfully explains the subtlety between advocacy and intercession. The two ideas overlap and are sometimes used interchangeably, but there is a difference. Intercession is the idea of mediating between two parties and, and bringing them together. Advocacy has the idea of aligning oneself with another. An intercessor stands between two parties. An advocate steps over and joins the one party as they approach the other. But in the Bible, Jesus is described as both interceding for us and being an advocate for us. So how do we understand his distinct roles here? Intercession is the moment-by-moment application of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The debt is paid. In Romans 8, 33-34, in the Message Translation, it says, And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would even dare to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? Jesus intercedes for me in the very throne room of God and says, that's Sue Buckby, she's mine. And Ortland is quick to point out that the son's intercession does not reflect the coolness of the father, but the sheer warmth of the son. Christ does not intercede because the Father's heart is tepid towards us, but because the Son's heart is so full toward us. But the Father's own deepest delight is to say yes to the Son's pleading on our behalf. So intercession is the daily, moment-by-moment work of Jesus representing us before the Father. When Jesus advocates for us, wow, he is on our side This is something extra. Jesus as advocate is like Jesus in mama bear mode. He roars for us. He encourages us. He is for us. This is Jesus in deep solidarity with us, stepping over to our side and spurring us on when we feel like throwing in the towel. Advocacy is not just a legal transaction. This is Jesus fully heart invested in us, standing with us. Jesus is all in. Theologian Louis Burkhoff writes, it is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life. And if you're someone that struggles with regular prayer, with the intimacy of that daily talking and listening to God, I hope it will calm and comfort you to imagine, to know that Jesus prays aloud for you every day. When we are drawing away from Jesus, when we are uncomfortable with that proximity, that intimacy. He remains faithful. And I want to think just a little about why do we do that? As individuals dearly beloved by Jesus, why do we turn our faces away from him? I've had a couple of months to prepare this talk, um, but I fessed up to Stephen and Andrew a couple of weeks ago that I rather stalled in my preparation because I was actively running from God. I'd made a good start. I had my introduction, I had my conclusion. But ironically, 
I was avoiding this big chunk in the middle about Jesus' proximity to and advocacy for us because I felt like a hypocrite. I was struggling again with sinfulness and I felt ashamed. And I don't think I'm alone in that. So I'm just going to pause here and think about why we keep Jesus at arm's length because of shame. Brené Brown talks a lot about shame and specifically the difference between guilt and shame. And I found that really helpful, so I'm just going to um, unpack that here. So guilt is recognising that we've done something wrong. Shame is thinking that we are inherently wrong. In her book, Daring Greatly, Brené Brown says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Guilt is me saying, oh Lord, I messed up again. I watched that thing that I vowed I wasn't ever going to watch. I'm sorry, I need you, please help me to turn away from this. Shame is me saying, I am too dirty and messed up to come into your presence, God. And so I stay away. I keep Jesus at arm's length. And isn't it easy to see that our adversary, the devil, would want to keep us steeped in shame, believing that it is not our actions that are wrong, but our very being. Ortland says we all tend to have some small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God reaches. And I'm going to read that again. We all tend to have some small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God reaches. But we do not need to fear. The work of atonement of Jesus' death on the cross in our place reassures us with what Christ has done in the past. The work of his intercession reassures us with what he is doing in the present. And the work of his advocacy reassures us that Jesus is on our side, standing with us, pursuing us with his love. Who is Jesus in the darkest moments of our soul when we are entrenched in sin? He is our comforting defender, standing with us in the battle, not lingering behind until we have emerged from our depravity. But please hear me correctly. We are indeed called to lay down our sins, to not just seek <coughs> forgiveness, but to repent, to literally about turn and take a different path. When we choose sin, we are forsaking our true identity as children of God. But even in that, our saviour, Jesus Christ, does not forsake us. We don't, do not need to excuse our sin, to minimise our sin, or find another to blame for our sin. But rest assured that we have Jesus who advocates for us more strongly and effectively than we could ever advocate for ourselves. John Bunyan says, But since we are rescued by him, Jesus, let us, as to ourselves, lay our hand upon our mouth and be silent. Jesus is with us. Let's not allow shame to keep us from the arms of Jesus. Let us linger a little longer in the presence of Christ. So one last quote from our Gentle and Lowly book before we think about what this means for us in our daily lives. Let Jesus draw you in through the loveliness of his heart. It is a heart that walks us into the bright meadow of the felt love of God. It is a heart that drew the despised and forsaken to his feet in self-abandoning hope. It is a heart of perfect balance and proportion, never overreacting, never excusing, never lashing out. 
It is a heart that throbs with desire for the destitute. It is a heart that floods the suffering with the deep solace of shared solidarity in that suffering. It is a heart that is gentle and lowly. So as I draw near to the end of this reflection, I want to think about the application to us as advocates for others and advocates for Christ to others. As we mentioned at the beginning, advocacy can mean different things in different contexts. But I do think that as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility and a privilege to be advocates for others. Privilege is a word that has become politically charged in the last 18 months or so. It's been weaponized, and some people listening to this may be bracing themselves right now to come under attack for being born in a particular place or body or ethnicity. And I hope that's not what you'll be feeling in a few minutes. But I do want to share an experience that I had recently in the hope that it causes us to pause and reflect and act. And I had really grappled about whether to share this because the experience left me reeling at the time and I certainly found myself sitting in judgment. And my heart in sharing with you is not that we sit in judgment, but that we draw nearer to the gentle and humble heart of Jesus Christ. I was recently with a group of mainly white Christian women, women I have history with and whom I respect. The conversation turned to the Barbie movie at the time, issues of injustice, issues of equality, etc. And then the conversation turned to talking about a group of people with a particular protected characteristic. And the sense I got was that this group of white women felt threatened, that their way of life felt threatened by the evolving rights and protections of others. And at one point, someone said, I won't be dictated to by a minority, followed by mutters of agreement, a bit more conversation. And then someone else said, yeah, but at the end of the day, we've just got to love them more muttered agreement. And I was left reeling because how can we truly love those that we do not know? If there are people that we are othering, that in our minds are the them to our us, how can we truly love these people? Advocacy starts with proximity. And from my reading of the Jesus that walks the pages of the New Testament, he would have been the one reaching out to those on the fringes those that were excluded, those who were in a minority. With the exception of my day at Warner Brothers studio tour, I have very little experience of being othered. I mean, sure, I was never in the cool gang at school, and I was never picked first for the sports team, but my experience is mainly one of fitting in as a white woman born in England, educated to a high standard and able-bodied. And that can be a very comfortable place to be. And it was probably only through my work at Transforming Knots Together, being confronted with issues of injustice, particularly poverty, housing inequalities, racial inequalities, inequality of opportunity, that I've become so passionate about including people. When Phil opened up this topic for us, he um, mentioned the WWJD band, which I've um, unearthed from my collection. Um, and that had also been in my mind as I read the opening chapters of this book. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He reached out. He elevated women. He gave dignity to the Samaritan woman at the well. He restored the Gerasene demonic back to his community. He dined with tax collectors. Again and again, he reached out to people who had been othered, 
and drew them in. So my challenge as we go from here today is to consider who am I othering? Who do I avoid? And what I'm not suggesting is that you immediately rush out and try and befriend someone as a token gesture. That could have really damaging consequences. But what I am suggesting is that each of us comes before God and asks him to search us and know us. Where are our prejudices? Is there anyone that we would cross over the street to avoid? Why? Because if it is our theology that is causing hatred in our hearts to other people, then I fear we have missed something of the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. If when we read stories of children drowned at sea while fleeing war and persecution and seeking refuge in another country, and we are apathetic about that, then perhaps we need to draw nearer. Perhaps we need to look beyond the headlines, seek out testimonies online about the journey that people have made and seek to understand. I was on some um, inclusion training through work recently, and there was this diagram, which is going to come up, called the Ally Continuum, about moving from apathy to advocacy that I've recreated here. And there's actually a six-day Bible plan by Tear Fund on the Bible app called Following Jesus from Apathy to Advocacy. That's a great starting point. If you can pop that one up. Thank you. So in this diagram, it talks of moving from being apathetic to aware, to active, to advocate. I wonder if there might even be a pre-step to apathy for some of us. Perhaps animosity. So in conclusion, we have an advocate. One who knows us, who knows temptation, and who did not sin. Jesus loves us, he stands with us. And I believe, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he calls us to stand with others. We have it written up there on the wall, love has won. But if that love is in the form of, well, I suppose we just have to love them, I would question if that is actually love. Advocacy begins with proximity. Let's draw nearer to Jesus, nearer to each other, and nearer to those that we don't yet know.